Welcome to On Point with Rachel Turgerman. We're so happy you could join us today every second Tuesday and fourth Tuesday at seven o'clock right here on Facebook and YouTube. We promise you this is going to be a very informative show. We're going to interview people, political parties. We're going to interview corporate gurus, world leaders, just to name a few. And of course, we're going to have experts on social contemporary issues like what? Uh, domestic violence, human trafficking, missing children, mental health, HIV, just to name a few. But today, right here in our studios, we have somebody very, very important in Miami-Dade County. He's a local and international renowned attorney, Mr. Mike Menaval. Mike, how are you today? Hi, Rachel, I'm doing wonderful, and you? I'm doing excellent. Congratulations, by the way, and you're in Denver. Everybody yeah. knows here in Miami-Dade County that you're running for Miami-Dade County judge seat on August 18th? I am, yes. Wonderful. Well, basically, I'm sure that you would agree and all the viewers out there that sometimes when we go and vote, so we get the ballot, Mike, right? And we see all these candidates on this ballot, right? And we don't know anything about them. And that's not good because we cannot make informed decisions, Mike. That's why you're here tonight, because we want to make sure that people know who is Mike Minerval and what you stand for. How's Thank that? Uh, excellent. Thank you. So let's begin, Mike, with a little bit about you. Let all our viewers know where you were born, uh, your upbringing, if you will. Talk to us about your parents. Go ahead. The floor is yours. Sure, sure, sure. I'm actually born in Miami-Dade County. I was born here at Baptist Hospital in Kendall, oh, from right. Miami. Uh, my family came from Cuba in 1959 with the, the Communist Revolution over there. They went to New York, and then in 1969, they came to Miami, and I was born here in 1970. So I'm a product of our of our community, I'm a product of our school system. And I also went to part of my college. I did here also Miami and St. Thomas University up in Miami Gardens. Excellent. So talk to us a little bit about your values. I know I was reading about you and I saw that your mother was a very, very hardworking woman. Also, your father was in the CIA yeah. as well. And he's an architect. Tell us about your family. This is your time. Yeah, my family is very interesting. My, like I said, my parents came here escaping communism. My mom didn't, and my dad didn't really know English. My father went to the military into the U.S. Army, and then eventually to the, the American CIA. My mother took a little bit of a different course when they moved to Miami. She was one of the first female business people to open up a clothing manufacturing factory in, of all places, Alapata. She hired nice. minority women and union minority women. And she ran that for about 10 years until she decided to take a little bit of break, sell the business, and become a, a homemaker and a philanthropist. Um, she worked for many years at a place called Centro San Juan de Puerto Rico, which used to be located in Wynwood run by the Carmelite sisters that would help abuse and neglected children. She would be there raising funds. We would be there since we were kids giving turkeys and Christmas and Thanksgiving, making sure the kids had clothes, making sure the kids had psychological um, uh, treatment, so yeah. and health treatment. So that's how I got involved in philanthropy through my mom. She made sure that even at age 12, she, even if I didn't wanna go on a Saturday, we had to go to make sure the kids had food, the kids had clothing, the kids had medical treatment, and to show us, especially as kids, the importance of giving back to your community. Very, very important. Talk to us about your education, certainly running for a Miami-Dade County judge seat. You know, let our viewers know what kind of education you have. Sure, sure. Number one, I'm running for a Miami-Dade County court judge. Um, people ask me, is that for a district of Miami? Is that for an area of Miami? No, that's for the entire county. 
So the first thing that we get straight is everybody asks me, what district are you running from? I'm not. I'm running for the entire county. So anybody who lives in Miami-Dade County can vote for Mike Mirabal for Dade County Court Judge. I'm in seat nine. So my education is a little bit, obviously, different than the typical Lori that just went to undergraduate and went straight to law school. I was fortunate to be able to, my mom had got divorced and I had been accepted to a very prestigious law school as uh, undergraduate outside of Miami. But since my mother had going, was going through a very contentious divorce, I decided to stay here, um, help her out, get a full-time job. We ended up, unfortunately, for a couple of weeks, homeless. So me and my mom and her dog right. and my parrot were living uh, in our car for a couple of weeks. While how, we how old were you then when you were living in the car? And 19, 19 years old. Okay, very young. So it was me, my mom, the dog, and our bird living oh. in, in a car. And, and as being so young back then, 19 years old was basically a baby. As a, as a mother, I can tell you that 19 years old was a baby. What was going through your mind? You know, your parents survival. came from India, You're now homeless in the, in the car. Survival. What were you going through? Survival. Survival. Um, get food. I had a job. So luckily I had, I had a, a job in the afternoon, a job at night. So I had two jobs while I was, because I was going to school full time also. So right. the first thing was save enough money to get an apartment to rent someplace. I needed a bed to sleep in. My mom needed a bed to sleep in. My bird needed a place to, to lay her bed to, or at two. And the dog needed a place. So the four of us needed a place to, someplace to, to start a new life. Luckily, I was able to get enough money for a down payment. My mother eventually was able to find a, a, a job at a place called Beauty Schools of America, a small cosmetology school in Coral Springs. Believe it or not, that was in 1989. From 1989 until my mom retired in 2013, yeah, 2013, she brought that company from a little, small, ugly cosmetology school in Miami Spring, in um, Coral Springs, mm -hmm. to a normal $40 million business with 4,500 students and 40, uh, about 300, 400 employees. Wow, so, now I know you've got your business acumen. <laughs> yeah, so she taught me the importance. Uh, number one, we made a deal that I would work while she would get herself steady. Once she got herself in a good, a good job and started becoming you know, a productive member of society and was doing well, then it was my turn to go back to school. So that's when I moved to Spain for college uh, with a, a, form, uh, a study abroad program that we have uh, with, uh, with St. Thomas University. Came back, did my undergraduate. You when got a degree I, in St. Thomas University, what, it was it international business? Uh, first, I got a bachelor's in St. Thomas University Saint, uh, in political science and a minor in history. Okay. Then I started my master's in international business. Then I applied to law school, got accepted. Then I did a two plus two. really, really fast on what I see. Uh, pretty fast. I mean, I took a year off to relax. Um, and then I went straight into the master's program. By then, I got accepted to a law program. And then what I did was a two plus two master's during the day. And then, I'm sorry, law during the day and my master's at night. So when I graduated in 2000, I graduated with my law degree and a master's in international business. Would you consider yourself a bookworm? <laughs> Complete bookworm, yes, 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 yes. I so don't look it, but I, I'm a voracious consumer of books, especially history books and law books, not so much contemporary law. I like reading about ancient history and ancient laws. Excellent. And how, the, how, those, how those ancient laws have brought us up to today. Outstanding. History is very important, without a doubt. So here talking about your history, your parents, how you got here, all the stuff that you went through when you were being homeless, that made you a stronger person and gave you character, correct? Yeah, no. I, and my, like I said, my parents and my grandparents always taught me that the importance of studying, the importance of getting an education. 
and tempering that with the importance of helping your brothers and sisters in the community, helping other people in the community. So it's always, I've always thought, if you were giving a little, give. If you're giving a lot, you need to give even more. You need to give a proportion as to what you get. And even when you don't have, you can still find time to give a little bit. And it helps you, it helps your mind when you don't have a lot to give to others. Well, let me ask you this, Mike. Congratulations on, on having that kind of uh, impetus to do well in the community. We all that know that because we see you in the community everywhere. What triggered you, Mike, to study law? What influenced you to study law? Well, my mom, like I said, was a business person. My father, an architect. All and careers, but of all the history. careers, you have been an architect like your dad, right? Right, right, right. But look, and that's one reason that we've discussed before why I believe it is so important to do mentorship internship programs, big brothers, big sisters. I luckily, when I was younger, my best friend's father was a lawyer, one of the first Cuban lawyers in Miami, Cuban American lawyers. And he took me under his wing, took me to his office. We would hang out and play in his office, put files away, go get him lunch, get him coffee, sit in on some of the trials and sit in on some of the cases. And I saw how he can, how he was helping people, how through his job, day in, day out, being a lawyer, he could help people in ugly circumstances like a divorce or a criminal matter or uh, an estate matter or doing a closing. So I realized pretty quickly, being a lawyer, you can actually use it as a benefit to people in the community. So that's kind of what started getting me interested in law at 15, 16 years old. And at that age, it was either that or being an underwater marine biologist at Jacques Cousteau. Really? <laughs> I can see that with the beard. Yeah, you yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I, enjoy, I, I love being a lawyer. And that's one of the reasons I actually am running for judge. I want to be a judge. Well, let as me a ask judge, this, As a lawyer, you can help and with, with clients, even though I do pro bono work, which is doing a free legal work to the community. Well, I want to get I want to get more into that. But first, you triggered a question now as I hear you talking about the judgeships. What are your thoughts, Mike? Uh, share with our viewers on some of the challenges, if you will that you foresee or that you see or that you have witnessed that judges go through, not only right now in the midst of COVID-19, but also just on a daily basis. What are your thoughts on that? What I've been seeing is uh, there's some judges who have been there so long or judges that have been appointed by the governor and have never gone through election process, that I, which means that they don't know the community. They haven't uh, gone to the community, asked them for their vote, shown their face to the community, see who, who they are and have that kind of relationship. I've seen a lack of compassion, a lack of um, understanding to what another person is going through or what, you know, sometimes you might have somebody, a litigant come in with a, a criminal matter, a domestic violence matter. And, it, and, and I'm talking, it could be both a perpetrator or it could be a victim. Right. You don't, they, there's almost a lack of empathy as what that person, what's behind there? What's behind the crime? What's be, what's, who's the person behind the statistic? I think we need to have uh, judges on the bench who are a little bit more understanding a little bit more compassionate and who value that person who's sitting there. Cause that person who's sitting there is not just uh, 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 the number of, um, of a criminal or the number of somebody who's in jail or just a you're innocent until proven guilty. Right. Or just a, just a victim. There's exactly. a person behind that statistic. And I think we need to, we need to focus more on that. And so, and hearing you speak about that, what makes you, feel that you will be an effective judge, Mike? Number one, I think I have the temperament. I have, everybody's always told me since I was a kid, I have a very even keeled temperament. And to get me out of it, it's almost impossible. It's very difficult. Um, number one, I think you have to, like I said, you have to temper temperament. 
You have to temper that with intelligence. You have to temper that also with compassion and integrity. And nowadays, you need to also have uh, diversity and inclusion. You need to be understand we live in a very diverse community. We live and that's diverse. beautiful, right? I love it's it. Wonderful. And but you need to embrace that, and you need to yeah. not just embrace it, saying, "Oh, diversity and inclusion is wonderful." No, you need to actually bring that into the courtroom. You need to bring that into the judiciary. You got to practice what you preach, in other words. Yeah, exactly. And it's not just something you pretty you see on TV or something you see in a in a continuing legal education course. It's something you need to really practice every single day because there's people in the community that might come in for whatever case, and like I said, they've had a diverse background or diverse experiences that you maybe particularly have never been affected by. And you need to be able to sympathize with that person or put yourself in their shoes and say, for the first time, this person in front of a judge, they might be scared. They might be terrified how to put that person in a comfortable zone so you can actually implement the law. That's extremely important. Also, maybe you can discern the puzzle for some of us. Uh, you know, some people say that judges are elected by, you know, appointed. Others are saying that judges are elected by the public at large. Can you discern that puzzle for us? Sure, sure, sure. There are some judges who are appointed by the governor. So, for instance, I know a judge who was appointed 20 years ago by Governor Bush, has never gone up to her election because every time she goes up for election, uh, every six years, judges get elected. Nobody dares to file against this person. And that has caused a certain arrogance with, with some of these judges who have never seen an election, have never had to talk to a voter, have never really? had to talk to a member of the community to say, what are your concerns? What do you think? What do you like about this or dislike about that? Or members of the community have come up to me and say, we're terrified to go in front of a judge or with law enforcement for X, Y, Z reason. Um, so I, I think it's so important for the community to know, number one, who is the person who's gonna be there in front of a criminal hearing, in front of a divorce hearing, um, if somebody dies and leaves a will, or it might get even worse to know that that judge has been out of the community, understands this community, understands the voters' needs, and is accountable, held accountable, not just have a lifetime judge. This isn't a royalty or a kingdom. This is a, this is a voted position. So the people should know who they're voting for. They should look them in the eye and say, I voted for you, or I have this concern. What do you think, and how are you going to make this better? So that's why I think it's so, so important for people to understand and to know who their judges are and to vote Absolutely. for them. I totally agree with you. Mike, let's just pause for a second and give a big shout out to our supporters, to our corporate supporters. Uh, we wanna thank beginning with the Jose Milton Foundation, Anna Vega Milton. If you're watching, I want you to know that we love you. Uh, Mike, you know Anna, she's amazing. Yeah. She's done so many altruistic work throughout our multicultural communities. She's like who's who in the world. And I'm just so grateful to God that, that Anna has taken a liking to our show and she's supporting us. Anna, we love you. Next, of course, we have Mike Mirabal, which is you. Thank you for supporting the show. And of course, our dear friend, Dr. Francesco Dubelli, who's the president and CEO of Survivors Pathway. So to all of you, thank you, because without you, the show would not be possible. Mike, getting back to you and talking about judgeships and all that, I would like to know your history. Take us through a history, take us through a ride, if you will, <laughs> as a prominent attorney here locally in, in Miami-Dade County, Miami, Florida, as well as international overseas in Europe. Sure, sure, sure. Um, like I said, it's, I, I've always taken a different path. I've never been the typical attorney to just do one thing. Um, I just because I've always been somebody who enjoys a different challenge. So I graduated from law school here. I started working at a law firm where I was a mentee. 
so a gentleman that I had met had helped me out, given me a leg up and showed me the ropes, started working with him, opened up my own law firm here in Miami. And one thing that I had very clear from the get go, anybody who worked at my law firm, which I opened up myself at 32 years old, I made sure everybody in my firm, be it secretary to receptionist to um, office manager, had to donate time with big brothers and big sisters together as a group. What right. I think that would do is help us as a group get to know each other better, build a rapport and respect, while at the same time helping some somehow with the community. So I want to get back to your your experience in, in international law, which I think is very important, especially that you are aspiring to be a Miami-Dade County judge. Uh, and of course, people are voting on August 18. Right. You're working here in a law firm and you were tapped on the shoulder by an international law firm called Interjuris. Is that correct? Right, right. In Spain. And then you went to Spain and you, you worked in that law firm and you had offices in, in where? In Mexico and Honduras, yeah, we had offices Venezuela, in Honduras, Venezuela, Mexico City, Panama. We also had a couple uh, small offices. We were opening up in Miami and we had an office also in Switzerland. And it was there, Mike, wasn't it, that you decided that you wanted to go back to school? Tell us about it. Again, like I said, I'm kind of a bookworm and a, and a nerd. So you said it this I time, was, it wasn't me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was already there, so I figured if I'm a if I'm working in Spain and I'm only an American attorney, I'm going to be here for an indefinite amount of time. Let me go back to school again. I went back to school again and got my five year Spanish law degree, and then went back to school again, again, and got my it's called LLM in International Law and Diplomacy. An LLM is kind of a PhD in law. So I wow. went to law school in the United States and law school again in Spain, passed my Spanish bar, and was practicing and litigating in, in Europe pretty much. And all pretty much every single country in Latin America except for Cuba and, and Bolivia. That's amazing. So just so that our viewers can really understand this, you, you study law here, you pass the bar here, you're working excellent here, then you went across to Europe, right? Yeah. And you study another five years? Uh, another five years, exactly. And the funny part is, since in Spain, you study usually in your early 20s. I was the oldest kid, oldest kid, oldest person in the class by almost 15, 16 years. So I was like the granddad of the class. And we had to study law all over again in Europe. So that's I, amazing. Yeah, because the thing is, being an American attorney doesn't mean you can practice in Europe. It's a completely different continental law and, uh, and British American common law. So I had to study law completely all over again from zero. And that might be very interesting if you get elected on, on August 18 to have a judge of your caliber, Mike. Yeah. To be able to relate to our multicultural, amazing, diverse communities, having the experience here locally, of course, and as well as the international perspective, if you will. I right. mean, that sounds like an amazing judge. So congratulations on, on your studies. Thank you, thank you. I've always said in Miami, I mean, everybody knows Miami is part of one of the most international cities in the world. I've always said, I think it's time in Miami that we need an international attorney to be an international judge. We, I think we need a judge with an international out outlook with that can see things, not just from one facet. Obviously, I'm going to be applying Florida law. That's my job. Sure. But you, you need to be able to see things from, like I said before, from completely different facets. Because nothing is just one or two dimensional. There's so many dimensions to either a lawsuit, a domestic violence matter, a criminal matter. There's more than what it seems on paper. So exactly. I got the experience litigating in Miami with excellent judges. And I'm not going to say they were bad judges. Excellent local judges who are Cuban-American, but they went to law school here 
and they just could not see the other international angles to something, then we would have to bring in experts, foreign attorneys, when usually I'm the one, that's why they hire me, I can just do things all at once. So Which I is outstanding. And also will probably save a lot of money, correct? Yeah, yeah, at least with my clients. That's why when they do an international litigation, they usually hire me. Um, they'll be saving double the money. They have to because uh, not they would have to pay another outside counsel to come in when I could do both things at once. I think it's time that in Miami we have a judge with that kind of international background, international uh, viewpoint, and not just your typical. I'm a pro lifetime prosecutor. I've been in the prosecutorial prosecutor's office for 15, 20 years. I've never done anything else, and then now I'm a judge. Well, and you love it, so you wouldn't do anything else. You love it, and not only that. I know that you also spend a lot of time, Mike, uh, you know, grooming individuals that want to be lawyers, mentoring them. And, you know, most of our viewers will understand, and I know they're going through it because I go through it. There aren't enough hours in a day, right, yeah. to do everything that you have to do. And yet you, Mr. Mike Medellin, you find time to groom other other young professionals, if you will, it's that important. want to be attorneys or that have graduated. Tell us about that. It's very, to me, it's very important since, since I said that I was uh, a, a mentee to a mentor and I was also an intern to an internship program. Um, I did an internship program with U.S. Customs and it went great. They've offered me a full-time job. I turned it down, uh, but they had offered me a full-time job. The same thing when I was working at my first law firm, I was a mentee to somebody else who was a mentor. So I saw how important it is to be able to mold something, somebody you you basically give them professionalism. You show them what professionalism is. You take them to court. And what I do is, here in my law office, I just don't mentor them. I I mentor them, obviously, they come with me as either mentees or interns, but then I take them to court. I take them to be with a judge for two or three weeks. I take them to be with a criminal attorney for two or three weeks. I want them to get an entire flavor of what it is to be a judge. I'm mean, sorry, to be an attorney and to and what professionalism means, how to relate to other people. Because you have out of college that are 22, 23 years old, don't even know how to do a checkbook, much less do not know how to relate to somebody coming, you know, a couple or a person coming from a horrible domestic violence or a horrible family issue or, or a, a family uh, d a divorce. How do you have the bedside manners with those people to talk to them? And again, well, what they see in you, Mike, is they see that mentor in you. You know, somebody that has local experience, international experience. Now you're running for Miami-Dade County judge. So, you know, you're a blessing to, to any person, to any career individual that's studying to be a lawyer or that is already a lawyer or to any parents. Yeah, but look, like I said, some of my mentees have been older than me. I just had a gentleman now who I'm so proud of, Osvaldo Morejon, if you're listening. Um, he just graduated now from FSU Law School. Congratulations. in Florida, now one of the best law schools in the United States. He was my intern for six months, a uh, little bit older than me, and he's now he's he went to a better law school than I did. I helped uh, what he was mentoring. He finished his, his studies. We did his applications for law school. I sent him one of his letters of recommendation. I just did his new letter recommendation for the Texas Bar Association, and like those, I have three or four great success stories. That's um, one of them now that I met through the high school mentoring program. He is now a successful lawyer, Robert Ibarra. And now I have a young Dominican uh, kid graduating from FIU that's in between wanting to study law or become a police officer. You know what, Mike? That is so rewarding. I want to congratulate you on that particular initiative. It's wonderful. Let's talk a little, about, a little bit about uh, sharing your experience as a guardian ad litem appointed attorney. 
first of all, I'd like you to begin to tell all our viewers, you know, what is exactly Guardian at Leiden, number one. Okay. Number two, what has been your experience working as, a, as an attorney pro bono? Um, first of all, pro bono, pro, if people don't know, pro bono is giving free legal services to people who can't afford. So what I've done is either on my own with a couple organizations and also with the other one called uh, the Cuban American Bar Association. So depending, there's several organizations that I work with, which come to me and say, Mike, can you take on this case pro bono? Uh, right now, I'm not taking too many because I'm campaigning. I just, it would be a disservice to the clients to take on too many cases that I can handle. But you've done a lot of that before. I've done, I've done a lot, especially especially for yeah. domestic violence. I've done domestic violence, both men and women, um, pro bono cases, and also guardian ad litem. Guardian ad litem is when you step in the shoe, the, the court gives you the authority to step in the shoes of the parents to make a, a very important decisions on a child's life. So I had one which I was a tearjerker, one of the first ones several years ago, young girl having issues with her family there was domestic violence in the family and it was my role to basically determine what was the best situation to survive for that young lady right and i of course being the like mentoring and mentoring and internships i asked her well maybe you want to study law would you like to work in my office see if you like it no 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 i want to study art mm -hmm. didn't know that world but i tried helping her out and eventually we were able to get her into the the art our art institute of Fort Lauderdale, get her funding, get her some uh, tuition money, get her some scholarship and housing over there. So she already graduated. She graduated last year with a mat with a bachelor's in um, social media. Excellent, congratulations! And since you mentioned domestic violence, you know how much I have a, a fervent desire to help victims, especially create the awareness. And right. as you know, we have a lot of friends in common. Uh, Ivan Mesa with CVAC, Dr. Francesco Dubelli, Cate Castellanos, Mercedes Becerra. I mean, the list is endless. Uh, Kathy Fernandez Rondel, the list, is, uh, our judge, uh, uh, Judge Kelly. I mean, the list is endless. What message would you like to give to all the viewers out there, especially now during the midst of COVID-19, you being an expert in domestic violence cases, to all the victims that are out there that have to find themselves confined, if you will, in a home right now, with the perpetrator of violence. What do you have to say to them? I mean, number one, it, it was fascinating because people thought you're gonna see a boom in case of domestic violence and actually what we saw was a dip in case of domestic violence at the beginning. At the beginning? At the beginning. And everybody knew that that was gonna be false numbers. There was a false Wasn't it because at the beginning it was like usually after the honeymoon phase and then it starts escalating? Right, exactly. And now we've been seeing more domestic violence cases than we have even before, the, before COVID started. Um, a lot of people, you can imagine, you're confined. A lot of people are drinking. A lot of people are not losing their jobs. And that's, as you know. Over 36 million people are unemployed. Right, oh. and as you know, that is the worst mix that you have for domestic violence is a drug and alcohol use, money situations, and already a volatile situation at home. So right. we've been seeing a huge spike in domestic violence cases now. The main thing that I would let, tell people, let people know is we, there are a lot of resources. Please reach out. Reach out to people that you know, reach out um, to people like me and you, you know, even though I might not be able to help you directly right now, I can you get you a lot of services and resources. Before there used to be a lot of stigma, number one stigma with, with women going in front of and, and asking for help. Then there was a stigma right now of men going and asking for help. People need to know that there is help out there for both men and women. A lot of times, even men think I shouldn't go because I'm embarrassed. They're not going to believe me. Are, luckily in Dade County, we've we've changed a lot, and we don't see the gender of the victim. We just see the victim. Exactly. So 
Yeah, reach out for help. Reach out for help. And look, I've seen domestic violence situations that have de-escalated and both parties have gone to therapy. Both parties have done their homework, what they need to do to make a, a better family unit, and especially when there's kids involved. And you know what? There is hope. I'm glad you brought that up. There is hope. If somebody intrinsically, I believe this, if somebody intrinsically wants to change, you can do it. It's possible. Yes. I mean, everybody says, you know, no, 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 a leopard can change their spot. And, and it's true to a certain extent. But when and, people... Yeah. And for those that, that there isn't any hope for, they don't want to change, then the victim has so many services and they can start their life over again, but they have to contact an expert like yourself and all the other entities that I mentioned earlier. Right. Let's, let's continue with your career. I also know that you do a lot of uh, volunteer work with Global Humanitarian and Protect. Tell right. us about that. Um, there's two organizations that I'm also a member of, which I'm very proud of. One is called Global Humanitaria out of Spain and Protect, which is also out of Spain. They do a lot of work especially Global Humanitaria in South America and Colombia to stop human trafficking, child trafficking, right. child exploitation, and also at-risk children, either abandoned children or children who are at risk, to give them food, clothing, education, psychological help, and then training to see if they want to, if they can get them into some kind of vocational training after. Protect is a little bit different. That's also uh, South America mostly and in uh, Southeast Asia, Cambodia in particular, to stop human trafficking. That's amazing. And as you know, you work together with uh, members of the powerhouse out of Florida National University. And you know that Christie House and Glory House and Homeland Security and all our friends are basically trying, including yourself, are trying to educate the masses that human trafficking, my friends, it is real. It is real. It's a $150 billion industry, only second to drugs. And yes, my friends, you heard right, only second to drugs. And I want to commend you, uh, Mike, as an attorney, along with so many other stellar professionals, community leaders that are creating this awareness so that our children are not stolen and taken and treated like slaves. Well, people oh, think, my, yeah, yes, people think that it's only, that it's only it, it happens in another country, it happens in third world countries. No, 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 it happens right here in Miami. Absolutely. As we know, when the Super Bowl came, the incidence of human trafficking went through the roof. Absolutely, but we're working together as one, and that's right. great. We have such a great niche of outstanding community stellar professionals that you know we're part of this group, that we are truly making a difference. Well, Mike, unfortunately, a time is coming to an end. I want to congratulate you on your initiatives, on your willingness, on your impetus to be a Miami-Dade County judge. We wish you the best of luck with that. Is there a last-minute message that you perhaps would like to leave with all our viewers tonight? Yeah, yeah. Number one, I wanted to thank everybody who voted for me last time. I had run in 2018 and lost by a little slim margin. Um, those are the people who actually, when uh, got me back on the horse and said, Mike, you need to do this again. Mike, please, we need people like you on the bench. Many other people have begged me, do it again. You need to, you need to. And, and I did. And I have to thank those people also. And thank the community for the outpouring of support that I've had, how nice people have been in this entire community. And that's really the reason that I'm running, um, not just for myself to try to help, but also those riding on the backs of those people that they have pushed me to do this. And that's one of the reasons I want to run. I love my community. I adore my Mated County. And I think all of us working together can make a better community and make a better county. Thank you so much, Mike. And without a doubt, again, I want to thank you. I want to thank all our sponsors, the Jose Milton Foundation, Anna Vega Milton, you, of course, Mike, a survivor's path with Dr. Francisco Dubrilli. All of you, thank you for making the show very, very possible, if you will. And Mike, congratulations on your endeavors. Congratulations on all of your contributions to Miami-Dade County. 
Miami-Dade County is a much better place today because of your contributions. Thank, thank you, Mike Miraval. And to all of you listening to us, thank you so much for joining us. We hope you will join us every second Tuesday and for Tuesday, 7 o'clock at night, right here on Facebook and YouTube. And by the way, if you have a story that you feel is very impactful and it can reach our inner core hearts, then the whole world needs to hear it. Write to me at interviews at onpointwithrachel.com. Again, interviews at onpointwithrachel.com. God bless you all. See you soon. Stay healthy and safe. Bye-bye for now. No, you're good.